Hi there. Welcome to Journey On. I'm Dave Smelser. So what a time we're living in where a global pandemic that caused almost the entire world to stay sheltered in place becomes a distant second biggest story to the demonstrations that broke out in response to, among other things, the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis police. Like many of you, my sheltering in place family has had some memorable points of contact with the protests. As two of my family members were at a protest when pandemonium broke out, I found myself wondering what some of the people we've talked about here who've led their people through tremendous injustice would have to say about the moment we're in. So today, we'll note that Thich Nhat Hanh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and the Dalai Lama have a particular unyielding and at times uncomfortable emphasis on compassion to all parties, even as they encourage action. I will start by offering a series of disclaimers, not least about the challenges of saying anything about this as a majority culture man. I'll let you in on a series of online conversations I've had about this, where a big question has been about whether, in all this compassion talk these spiritual leaders have, there's any place for righteous anger. And we'll look at plenty more, including the role of your spiritual practice in these times. Each week, I mention that you might enjoy a couple of online groups I help lead around the spirituality that include some brief coaching, some time for your own practice, and some really fun breakout groups connection with like-minded people from around America and beyond. One group meets Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and another meets Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This week, let me also mention that starting this upcoming Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, so you'll have to act soon if you want in on this, my wife Grace and I will be hosting a six-week starter group for people who would like to join other newbies to all of this. We've had strong initial response. If you'd like more information on any of these groups, email mail at blueoceanfaith.org. Mail, M-A-I-L, at blueoceanfaith.org. Okay, kick us off, Ryan Hood, for Let's Talk About the Protests. So God bless you and yours this week with however the protests and the injustice that they're about affects you. Who knew that a worldwide pandemic would become a distant second most compelling story? As you'd imagine, I've been having conversations in our online groups as we've kicked around perspectives from some of the great spiritual teachers on justice that we've talked about on Journey On in light of the George Floyd protests. And I thought you might enjoy being let in on how some of these conversations have gone. Our conversation here is not meant to compete with anything helpful that you've learned from anyone. Three cheers for the great voices that you've heard from in these times. If anything, the great teachers here are trying to offer context to those things that you're learning. Among the benefits from having the online conversations I've been having about this is realizing that we can't consider the thoughts from the great spiritual leaders I'll be bringing up without a whole lot of disclaimers. Like, for instance, that I'm clearly in a tenuous position to say much at all as a white man who hasn't lived through the suppression directed towards me and those in my family. Yes, I've had brief windows into this, like many majority culture people. I spent a couple of years after college living and working in a 95% minority community with a high crime rate. I headed up a national task force on diversity in churches. But even in the face of my tenuous position, it seemed to me that it would be copping out for me not to say anything and to leave that exclusively to those of us in the affected groups. Let me say up front that like all of you, I'm entirely outraged by the murder of George Floyd, the unconscionable empowering of it by the other officers present, and the outrage that it's not an isolated incident, but is one of a long, consistent line of such incidents. I cheer on the protests. Some of my family members, again, have joined them, including on what turned out to be a pretty crazy day in my city. And in my sea of disclaimers, let me say that while I, like everyone, of course, am appalled by the now somewhat earlier looting of stores, 
not least towards small businesses and those owned by minority owners. I am sympathetic, though while absolutely a bad thing compared to the systemic injustice towards African-American brothers and sisters, not to mention towards other minority populations, it's not the big story here. As a resident of Los Angeles County, it feels unbelievable and outrageous that 50 years after the Watts uprisings and 30 years after the Rodney King uprisings, here we are again. Let me also flag up front the big thing you'll see in the perspectives I'll touch on from these great spiritual leaders who have led oppressed people as well, like Jesus, of course, and the Dalai Lama or Gandhi, Thich Nhat Hanh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. All of them talk a whole lot about compassion, both for the oppressed people that they're a part of, but also for the oppressors. I'll give brief bios on some of these folks in a moment, but they've all led people through tremendous suffering and oppression. But among the very spiritual people I have talked to in and outside of these groups I've mentioned, who by no means reject these thoughts about compassion, there's a consistent question about the place for righteous anger. Isn't there any teaching about that? Is there no place to say no justice, no peace? At least as a part of the conversation, the Bible at the very least does have a place for this. One friend pointed out that that's a lot of the message of the book of Jonah, which certainly ends with compassion as the bottom line, but gives real space to anger. And the wellspring scriptures for this tension are the Psalms, a representative one of which we'll touch on a little later on. Anyway, just to note that the compassion slash righteous anger continuum has been a big part of the conversation. A final disclaimer as we look at these perspectives. As I looked at how Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu addressed the injustices their people have faced, I kept deciding against including otherwise powerful things they said as being inappropriate for someone in my position, even to quote in such a time. Because, of course, those pe- these people were immersed in speaking to their own oppressed communities, and they hoped that their remarks might be relevant beyond their communities. But where they could tell their own oppressed people to, say, turn the other cheek, it seemed iffy for me as an outsider to note their advice on behalf of oppressed people groups that I'm not a part of. Okay, so all that said, first, let me give some brief bios, likely not needing to tell you much about them, as you'll be aware of them if you've heard earlier Journey On podcast. So Archbishop Desmond Tutu is a retired archbishop in South Africa. He most famously led the peace, uh, excuse me, the Truth and Reconciliation Project, after the fall of apartheid, where he got to sit with people who'd committed tremendous atrocities and their victims and try to bring people through that process. Uh, The Dalai Lama is the leader of the Tibetan people. He was exiled from his homeland of Tibet in 1959, still alive. Um, And he has watched as the Tibetan people have suffered tremendous oppression, often involving things like gulags in the face of Chinese hardliners. And Thich Nhat Hanh, probably the second most famous Buddhist teacher in the world to the Dalai Lama, who is Vietnamese and who kind of made his name as a Buddhist monk in the Vietnam War, who encouraged kind of Buddhist uh, factions in Vietnam to band together and not to pick sides so quickly, which got him hated by all sides. So he is living in exile in Paris. He gets frequent death threats. You hear things like he's got escape hatches at various places he's at. So he's been in that world as well and has kind of pastored, to use Christian terminology, some of his Buddhist people through difficulties that have come since the war has ended. Now, again, these folks and the other folks I mentioned, like Gandhi and Jesus, have remarkably consonant views of how to live well in an unjust world. Let me summarize their big message before getting into specifics and reading you a bit from uh, what they have to say. So the big message I would summarize as, we thrive when we are compassionate, both towards victims of injustice and also towards oppressors. 
We thrive when we are compassionate both towards victims of injustice and also towards oppressors. Again, kind of an uncomfortable point in ways we're going to look at. But here's the Dalai Lama on this point. He says, we need unbiased love towards entire humanity, towards sentient beings, irrespective of what their attitude is towards us. So your enemies are still human brothers and sisters. So they also deserve our love, our respect, our affection. You might have to resist your enemy's actions, and they talk a fair amount about resistance, but you can love them as brothers and sisters. We will talk a lot about this point, but a starting point corollary they offer is about the dangers of being right, particularly if you are an ally rather than a member of the oppressed group. So here's a Buddhist text that the Dalai Lama and the Christian Archbishop Tutu talk about a lot together. Here's the text. As long as you are too focused on your self-importance, and too caught up in thinking about how you are good or bad, you will experience suffering. So their focus is away from rightness and goodness and self-importance and towards getting the job done with compassion. If you heard our podcast on healing divisions, this would be a key point in the things the philosopher Ken Wilber was contending for on that podcast. Here's more from the Dalai Lama who's talking about how it's possible to develop compassion for someone who's not experiencing the current brunt of suffering, but is dishing out the sufferings on the other side. How do you have compassion for someone who's not the sufferer? He says this. You can develop compassion for someone who's creating the conditions for their future suffering. These people who commit such negative actions that create pain for others. In the Christian tradition, don't you say they risk going to hell? In our view, these people who commit atrocities, including murder, are creating karma that brings very serious negative consequences. So there are many reasons to feel real concern for their well-being, which leaves no place for anger to grow. Thich Nhat Hanh says this, During the Vietnam War, I meditated and prayed that Vietnamese soldiers would not be killed in battle. But I also meditated on the American soldiers and felt a very deep sympathy for them. I knew they had been sent far away from home to kill or be killed, and I prayed for their safety. Having prayed those prayers, there was only one path to take, to work for the end of the war. The idea of enemy vanishes and is replaced by the reality of someone who is suffering and needs our love and compassion. And one more from the Dalai Lama on this. The only thing he says that will bring happiness is affection and warm-heartedness. So they talk at length about how science tells us that we are hardwired to be compassionate. It's in our DNA, that it's our nature, and things go wrong when we violate this. So the compassion point. Secondly, they tell us that our diligent spiritual practice matters. In justice work, in times like this, they say our diligent spiritual practice matters. This from Thich Nhat Hanh. If in our daily life we can smile, if we can be peaceful and happy, not only we, but everyone will profit from it. This is the most basic kind of peace work. Then he says, peace is all around us, in the world and in nature, and within us, in our bodies and our spirits. Once we learn to touch this peace, we will be healed and transformed. It is a matter of practice. We observe many aspects of happiness inside us and around us. We can really enjoy touching our breathing and being alive. Otherwise, we will only repeat our suffering. Dalai Lama says, every day as you wake up, think, I am fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. This is just a small sampling of all sorts of teaching that they and Archbishop Tutu give about how to stay true to your own spiritual practice, to being able to, as we've talked about on this podcast, stay behind the waterfall of your thoughts and emotions and observe them, and then to be still in the presence of God, as the psalmist would say. All that would be what Thich Nhat Hanh's calling touching peace, and how crucial that is if you want to offer peace. 
Um, this is back to Thich Nhat Hanh in an intense quote. Well, first, he, before my intense quote, which is the next one, he says this about how interconnected we all are. My well-being, my happiness depends very much on you and your well-being. Your happiness depends on me. I am responsible for you and you are responsible for me. Therefore, in order to, to take care of you, I have to take care of myself. Again, his point being, if you want to bring peace, if you want to bring something good into justice, injustice, and conflict, you have to have something in you to, to give to that, which requires diligent spiritual practice. And then he has these intense um, quotes about how far he would go with that. So he says, if a cruel and violent person disembowels you, you can smile and look at him with love. He's had many of his monks who've died over this. It is his upbringing, his situation, and his ignorance that cause him to act so mindlessly. Look at him, the one who is bent on your destruction and heaps injustice on you with eyes of love and compassion. And don't let a ripple of blame or anger rise in your heart. We'll get to righteous anger in a minute. He does the, these things because he can't see the way to peace, joy, or understanding. If someday you receive news that I have died because of someone's cruel action, then again, he's, he gets death threats coming his way, know that I died with my heart at peace. So, I don't know. Just I thought it was intense enough to be worth saying. Uh, and finally, he, he is, he is anti-anger in terms of ha starting with the anger in ourselves. So he says, we want to think about the hateful aspects of the person who has made us angry. The more we think of them, the more our anger flares up. Their hatefulness may be real or imaginary or exaggerated, but the root of the problem is the anger inside of us. Like a fireman, we must put water on the blaze immediately and not waste time looking for the person who set the house on fire. So that's all pointing towards spiritual practice as being important as you are going to enter into times like we're in now. That said, on the subject of anger, let's look to open-heartedly process our anger with God is a point I think the Bible makes. On the subject of anger, let's look to open-heartedly process our anger with God. So I mentioned that the Bible balances righteous anger and compassion. And one key place it does this, as I mentioned, is in the Psalms, which often encourage us to pray uncomfortable things that turn out to be helpful. Contemplatives talk about praying psalms slowly and non-evaluatively, as if sitting with the emotions of the psalmist. King David is the one we're about to look at, has power. So if, we are if we're getting heady and not being contemplative, we might read the psalms and they're distant from us. And we think, do I like what that line says? I don't know. Or that's really encouraging. I wonder what it would look like to feel that. Or, but what do I think about that? Because the, the psalms, because David was a warrior, often have kind of warlike sentiments. But for 3,000 years, we are told that the Psalms have been the central way that Christians and Jews in particular have been trained to pray. And they've been trained to pray by sitting with them, by not evaluating them, by just being with them contemplatively and seeing how they work on you. Um, the things, again, we sit with in the Psalms are often uncomfortable, but turn out, as I mentioned, to be quite helpful. So consider what it would be like to contemplatively, tough word, pray. Psalm 58, Psalm 58. Here's a cutting from it. Justice, do you rulers know the meaning of the word? Do you judge the people fairly? No, you plot injustice in your hearts. You spread violence throughout the land. So perhaps you feel that way now. And then pray to God, break off their fangs, O God. Smash the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground. Make their weapons useless in their hands. May they be like snails that dissolve into slime, like a stillborn child who will never see the sun. God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats over burning thorns. And uh, here's an intense 
verse, the godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then at last, everyone will say, there truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly here on earth. So you probably picked up, there's some emotion in that psalm from King David. You know, again, the godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. Um, you know, there's some heat. So why is this in the Bible? You know, how does this say holy scripture? How does this help anyone? And I think the way we're told is that contemplatively praying this acknowledges that righteous anger is part of the human condition. That when we are victims of injustice, we feel this stuff. And that there's power in taking this to God, as King David does. He goes to God to accomplish these things. So I think that contemplatively praying psalms like this can encourage us that we don't need to fear our anger at injustice, but that God can be with us in it. Uh, fourthly, you can open heartedly suffer and also experience life at the same time. You can open heartedly suffer and experience life at the same time. Archbishop Tutu talks about how for him, not protecting himself from feeling sad was a key step towards not falling into depression with all the intense work he did. He talked about how leading the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he'd hear about tremendous atrocities with both the perpetrators and the victims present, and then would consistently start to sob. In what I read, he called himself a crybaby. But then he and the Dalai Lama both applaud the power of open-heartedness during injustice. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, the seed of suffering in you may be strong, but don't wait until you have no more suffering before allowing yourself to be happy. When one tree in the garden is sick, you have to care for it. But don't overlook all the healthy trees. Even while you have had pain in your heart, you can enjoy the many wonders of life, the beautiful sunset, the smile of a child, the many flowers and trees. To suffer is not enough. Please don't be imprisoned by your suffering. When you have suffered, you know how to appreciate the elements of paradise that are present. Without suffering, you cannot get the peace and joy you deserve. Embrace your suffering and let it reveal to you the way to peace. All right, to sum up, according to these teachers, our target is bone-deep compassion. As we act, we focus less on our rightness or goodness than on getting the job done. We are diligent with our own spiritual practice and growth, sometimes embracing anger before God as part of our journey. And we learn that open-hearted suffering can exist alongside new life. Again, God bless you and yours in these fraught and promising times. I'm praying for your experience now, even as I'm praying with the prophet Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. All right, I'll talk with you again soon. And again, do join in with our six-week starter group this next Monday if it's of interest. Email mail at blueoceanfaith.org for more information.